You're listening to Vernacular Podcast. Welcome to episode five of Vernacular Podcast. I'm Sally. And I'm Zach. And we are here today in the studio recording after a weekend off because Zach fell ill. Oh, I did not fall ill. <laughs> I We were enjoying our Memorial Day. That's why there wasn't a podcast. Well, no, you had a cold. No, I was fighting a cold. Okay. Zach was fighting a cold. I was last... fighting the man. <laughs> he was fighting a cold and the man. And the man. And so we couldn't record. So we are back now with episode five. So episode five of Vernacular Podcast is going to feature Jordan and Catherine, a husband-wife dynamic duo living in Nashville. Jordan is a web designer, graphic designer, and musician. And Catherine is a barista by day and a blogger by night. You can follow her blog at ashortblonde.com. Yeah, she's very popular. So we are looking forward to talking to them, and we will be doing that in just a minute, and we'll ask them to introduce more about themselves because we just gave you the teaser version. But before that, it's time for the tip of the week. Hashtag tip of the week. So your tip of the week comes from a story that happened to us yesterday. We went to the library for the afternoon, and as soon as we got there, of course, <laughs> uh, our daughter, who's young and still in diapers, needed a diaper change. Classic. So I offered to change her diaper and went into the men's restroom. Being the good dad that you are. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, there was no diaper changer in the restroom, which is frustrating because if I want to change my daughter's diaper, it's very difficult to do that if there's not a diaper changer in the restroom. Yeah. I mean, we have like a portable pad, but then you put that on the floor. Like, or you like gross. stake a claim to the bathroom sink and get in the way of everyone who's trying to wash their hands. And it's just, it's, you know, not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> so then I thought, okay, maybe just, maybe the library just doesn't have money for a diaper changer. And that's totally fine. If that's the case, I'll, you know, I'll figure something out. But I asked Sally if they had a diaper changer in the women's restroom, and lo and behold, they did. So hmm. Sally ended up changing the diaper just because it was easier since they had a diaper changer in the women's restroom. But then I got to thinking about this, and this is not the first time this has happened to us, that there's not a diaper changer in the men's restroom, but there is in the women's. Yeah, and we've been in restaurants that have had similar situations. Right, and it just occurred to me that it's pretty, it's pretty silly and perhaps even sexist when a company thinks, oh yeah, we won't put a diaper changer in the men's restroom because it's primarily women who are doing the changing anyway. Yeah. And part of this might reflect statistical analysis about this. Maybe women actually change more diapers. Yeah, but I'd <laughs> but like to know how much more expensive it is to also put a changer in the men's restroom. I don't think it's that much more expensive. Yeah. Uh, and I really, I think that it's, it's not a good thing when you have uh, when you have it that way, because then the women are always the ones changing the diapers. And there's no reason that if a, if a family is out together, the men can't change the diapers just as often as the women can. Or what about the situations where I would, I want to just take my daughter out on a daddy daughter date and she needs a diaper change. what am I going to do then if there's not a place to change the diaper? Right. You have to go trot out all the way out to the car after you just came into the store. <laughs> right. And as, as one of my friends pointed out, uh, living in North Dakota, that's not always a viable option because in January, North Dakota, it can be negative 40 degrees outside and you're not going to change your mm. kid's diaper in the, the cold car, in the back of the car. Yeah. So this is a real problem. So I promptly started a campaign. A movement, if you will. A movement. I started a movement to hashtag change the diaper change. You can track this on Twitter. Uh, at my last count, it will return one tweet in its results, and that's my own. But you can add to that. <clears throat> but you can add, it's, it's, it's within your power to add to that. So join the movement, change the diaper change. You can uh, take pictures of places that don't have diaper changers in the men's restroom and tag it with that. 
to put that into the movement. And yeah, together we'll change this. We'll change the diaper change. And if you feel so inclined, you could also add a hashtag diaper shame to really add a little more pressure. Yeah, if you're taking a picture of a place that doesn't have the diaper changer in the men's restroom, definitely diaper shame that. (laughs) (laughs) So we're kidding about the movement. There's not there's not a movement underway, but I think there should be, and not necessarily one that's called change the diaper change. That's or diaper shame. Or diaper shame. You could just go to your local establishment that doesn't have a diaper changer in the men's restroom and say, "Hey, what do you think about maybe fundraising for that?" Right. Just, uh, or, you know, not even fundraise, just take a little bit of your profits and buy a diaper changer. True. <laughs> yeah. So just, uh, you know, be mindful of that when you go out. And if you're a dad who wants to be helping, uh, your wife change diapers, then, you know, make sure that the management at the places at which you are a patron knows that and is installing diaper changers for you to do that. So that's it for the tip of the week. Next up, we're bringing in Jordan and Kathy. All right, so we're here with Catherine and Jordan, our dynamic duo that we mentioned earlier. Uh, Catherine and Jordan live in Nashville, Tennessee, and both do very interesting things. Uh, Jordan and Catherine, welcome to the show. We're really excited to have you. And, Thank uh, you for having us. Yeah, it's, hey. we're very excited about this. We've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. Uh, we thought we could start by you just interview or in, not interviewing yourselves, intru- <laughs> introducing yourselves, <laughs> introducing yourselves. Let's talk a little bit about yourself. Sure. Catherine, yeah. go ahead. Ladies Hi. first. I'm Catherine, and I am a barista, and also I blog on the side. Nice. That's exactly how we described you. Uh, (laughs) So I'm glad it was accurate. (laughs) In the very beginning of our show, we said barista by day, blogger by night. Yeah. It's really a great combination. I mean, coffee and blogs, you can't get a whole lot better than that. So, <laughs> And to elaborate on that a little bit, Catherine's a very successful blogger. She's been blogging <laughs> for several years and has many followers and posts frequently on many topics. So, yeah. And the, the title of her blog is A Short Blonde. And Catherine, I was actually going to ask you this. Uh, was there was there like a, a connection to coffee there? Because I know you can get like a short coffee, like a short black is an espresso. And then obviously there's a blonde roast too. So is there like a coffee reference there? Yes. Um, when I was first trying to think of a name, um, you know, I was like, okay, you could use your first and your last name. And then all of a sudden it just came to me. My last name is short and I am blonde and that's also a beverage where I work. And it just kind of came together in this very organic way. And I was really excited because that's what Jordan does. He helps companies come up with names. Nice. And, you know. So she came home one day, like I was busy working, you know. And she's like, I I figured it out. <laughs> and she gets like, she like, you know, like the door blew open. And she like, <laughs> there was a ray of sunlight behind her. And she's like, I have the name. That's awesome. And I was like, okay, yeah, lay it on me. <laughs> kind of like, whatever. Like, it's going to be good, but is it going to be great? Yeah. You might have to tweak it a little bit. <laughs> it was like perfect right out the gate. I was like, wow, that that's really yeah. phenomenal. So you didn't need I to was, be sold. Yeah. <laughs> I was quite proud of myself. <laughs> that's, that's impressive. I think it's a great name. I think so too, yeah. Uh, we were listening to a, star, a startup or a podcast that we've talked about before uh, called Startup. And this is a podcast by Alex Bloomberg, who's a producer, previous former producer on This American Life, which is one of the most Mm -hmm. successful podcasts of all time. And Startup is the podcast about him starting a podcasting company. But part of that is him thinking of names. And so his first name is the American Podcasting Corporation, (laughs) 
<laughs> which is not a hit with either potential consumers or potential investors. investors. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then he and his business partner put their heads together for forever to try to come up with a better name. And they come up with there's so many funny. Iterations. They come up with Arello, which is an Esperanto word for ear. Okay. And <laughs> Esperanto is this. Uh, my understanding of it is this like it's a made up language yeah. that's supposed to combine all the tonalities of all the languages. So uh, he goes home very excited that they found Arello, the name for their company, and he to tells tell his, his wife, wife, and she just bursts into laughter and is like, "That is so she was stupid." Like, Who came up with that? And needless <laughs> to say, that name did not stick. Yeah. So that's not what it ended up being. It's now Gimlet Media, and then I didn't know what a Gimlet was. I thought it, it reminded me of like a um, a gremlin. A gremlin. Yeah, I, I hear Gimlet and think gremlin, but it's actually a cocktail. You guys probably know this probably classier than me but no i was i was not aware oh, okay well now you know gimlet is a cocktail so that's the new name of his company so that's a short blonde jordan you come up with uh you come up with names for companies you do branding i do yeah so i uh i'm a graphic designer and uh, uh you know art director consultant and uh I've been doing that for about, I've been paying my bills with it for about 10 years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, worked at, you know, a nonprofit, worked at a small uh, boutique marketing firm in the Chicago area. And then about four years ago, I decided to go freelance. And, nice, good move. And work for myself. Yeah, no, totally. It was scary at the moment, but it, it's honestly been one of the best decisions I've ever made. Uh, and definitely career-wise, uh, the best decision I've ever made. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I do. I, I love it. I, I have a variety of clients, large and small. Um, and then I'm also kind of in conjunction with all of that. I'm I'm the creative director at Alpha USA, um, and Alpha is an is a worldwide organization that they basically provide. Uh, a safe place for people to come and ask questions about life and faith, uh, free of, you know, judgment or, or critique. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a brilliant thing. So they put on these things called alpha courses and 27 million people around the world have done alpha. Wow. And so, so yeah, so I'm the creative director for alpha in the States That's awesome. and, and it's awesome. Yeah. I love it. It sounds like a good mission. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And you wear so many hats. That's fairly impressive. <laughs> it's, it's, I was actually talking with a friend today about the need to teach myself how to multitask. Yeah. Like, I'm a terrible multitasker. Naturally. I'm so bad at multitasking. Right. Yeah. I'm so bad. And at like, me. even like, even like challenging myself to only work two hours on a project and then at the end of the two hours, jump to the next thing. Like that's really hard for me to do. You know, I want to complete the task. And sometimes it's not necessary. Sometimes you just have to bite off chunks at a time. You yeah. Know? Anyway, I I, I I went on a rabbit trail there, but yeah. Hey, so you have, you have your office in your home then? I do. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I think I think I definitely hear your point about multitasking and training yourself to just do a couple hours of work on one project and then move to another. One one challenge that I have in my work environment is just it's hard for me to get even 15 minutes of uninterrupted workflow just because other people are coming in to, to talk to me or to talk to people who, who have the desk right next to me. Mm. And inevitably I hear that conversation and it, you know, disrupts my workflow and everything. So yeah, yeah, it's a challenge and I just wish I was a better multitasker, but 
I'm hoping that the longer I'm here at this job, the better I'll get at it, you know? Well, and there's, it's interesting because I was seeing some studies. I think it was either like Fast Company magazine or Forbes or somebody, one of those businessy type magazines. They were talking about this uh, study that had just been done, talking about how like multitasking isn't as isn't as productive as we thought it was <laughs> and like and like trying to figure out how to have have brief concentrated moments where you're working on one thing and one thing only and then you jump to the next thing right and like yeah it's 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 interesting i love dissecting and optimizing working environments that fascinates me yeah, I, I've I've read a few things about that recently. I've, I've read things about like the open workspace movement and how that uh, that is really popular in the software world because it is supposed to foster collaboration and everything. But and that means you don't have your individual offices. Yeah, basically, it's all, it's just a big like like Facebook is a big warehouse floor essentially, and everyone's got their desks out on wow. the warehouse floor. But right. that's not something that that is necessarily translatable to other industries where you need that that time in your own corner, you know, with your head buried in your own projects. Yeah, exactly. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. But Jordan, your point about multitasking, th that sounds like a similar article to one that I read a while ago that talked about how what we think of as multitasking isn't actually multitasking. And that's maybe related to the point you were just making, but mm -hmm. rather our, our brains are actually completely incapable of multitasking truly. So right. what they end up <laughs> doing when we're multitasking is, is basically splitting these, uh, these milliseconds of concentration across various tasks. So our brain is really just always jumping from one thing to another super rapidly. So we think we're multitasking, but we're really not. Right. That's reassuring. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, well, yeah. this, this was a more detailed introduction than, uh, than I anticipated. <laughs> Forgive or, or, me, I'm so or Not even no, detailed. No, no it, just, it just went in a different direction than I anticipated. Because really, we didn't talk about you guys very much. It just sort of, we just sort of ended up talking about other things. <laughs> but, but How did um, it work, Dan? and that's totally fine. That's the fun part. All the you know, this podcast, we... this podcast may never air. I mean, it, and, <laughs> and I will take, I will take the blame for that. Please forgive me. <laughs> no, this is good. We want our listeners to to know who you are before they listen to us talk about other things. But I think our last topic of conversation is actually a good segue into what we want to talk about in our current events segment. And that is Google with their I.O. that they did recently. The I.O. is their, as you guys probably know, their annual conference where they talk to their developers every year and talk about what things are coming on the horizon, kind of what Google's thinking for their corporate direction for the, the next several years. So Google just had their I.O. and unveiled a few new products. And I thought we could talk about those and sort of um, contextualize the I.O. in the space of the broader tech scene right now and what's going on in Silicon Valley. Um, so I thought we could have that conversation. Um, so Google unveiled a few new things in their I.O. One, they uh, took, they finally are recognizing that Google Plus is a failure. And they uh, are also recognizing that the only thing Google Plus ever had going for it was its photos feature. So they kind of liberated photos from Google Plus. And now there's a standalone photos app for Android and iPhone and maybe even Windows. I'm not sure about Windows, though. But there's a, it's a standalone service now. Uh, you get free unlimited photos as, as long as they're next less than 16 megs in size, I think. Um, and so that's pretty cool. They're doing that. Uh, and they're also changing a lot about Android, um, doing some stuff to save battery life and uh, some little user features like that. But they're also installing this thing called Chrome Custom Tabs, which basically installs Chrome uh, into your apps. 
So instead of instead of basically, I guess, being redirected from uh, your app to like a, a, a trimmed down version of a Chrome tab when you do a, when you click a link in an app, you'll actually be, be basically be able to open up Chrome right within the app, and it won't be a dumbed down version at all. So they're just trying wow. to integrate Chrome into all of their products, yeah. so they have a smoother end to end experience for their users. Right. And then they're they're. Uh, continuing to refine and polish Google Now, trying to make it a lot more predictive and uh, basing basing its results that it yields for you off of, for example, where you are, your location at that time. So they're trying to harness the power of all this, you know, what we call metadata stuff, um, stuff that's, uh, you know, buried deep, but um, able to be gleaned from location reading, for example. Or so like you would go somewhere and then when you arrive there, Google now would tell you something. So like, so like you would, um, so maybe an example would be you're in downtown New York, uh, close to Yankee stadium and you ask Google now how much tickets cost and it would probably yield the price of Yankees tickets. And so you don't have to say how much do Yankee tickets? Right. Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. That's cool. Um, or even like if you were by Yankee stadium and you had favorited a location nearby, like let's say a coffee shop, and you had favorited that like a year ago, right? Like Google now could pull up your favorite and say, hey, you know, just so you know, you know, one of these locations you favorited is just, you know, a half a mile away. Right. Wow, that's and so cool. So that's kind of like, it's trying to be a little more intuitive with the data that it already knows about you. <laughs> and, and then supply that to you in a helpful way. Right, exactly. Wow. Um, which is, is impressive to me uh, that, that, number one, we're able to do that sort of engineering. But what strikes me about this is that this is really Google uh, signaling that its entire tech effort relies on metadata. You know, it's, it's, uh, its success in doing what it's trying to do is dependent on having this metadata to collect on and then build this sort of intuition, this, um, if we can use that term for computers, this intuition that is supposed to make our lives a lot easier in the long run. Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even with our photos app, I mean, what Google can do with photos, uh, there's a little disclaimer when you log into their app, uh, that it uses, you know, Google's facial recognition features. Um, and there's a lot of data collection I'm sure going on. I'm, and I'm sure it's all nameless, but by definition, it's not really faceless because it's actually collecting on faces and trying to build its accuracy by doing this in bulk, you know, with millions and millions of people and millions and millions of photos. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to lie, I downloaded the app because it's, it's handy to have a free place to put all your photos. Uh, but that means that Google is now probably scanning all my photos and, and that's kind of a weird thought, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not freaking out about it, but, um, it's just kind of strange to think that this company out there is harvesting all of my photographic data from every photo that I've ever taken on my phone. And it now lives on a server, you know, maybe in, you know, Menlo park or Silicon Valley or one of other, one of Google's data server centers somewhere in the U S and that's, what's driving their innovation. Yeah. That's what I mean. Their innovation is dependent on that because they are dependent on collecting all this data, um, on us basically so that that they can theoretically, you know, render better services to us, but that's what they rely on. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I declined to activate uh, Google Now on my on my Google app on my iPhone because, like, th- half of me was super stoked 
about the possibility and the helpfulness of it. But then the other half, I was like, well, I know Google has a lot of my information already, but I'd rather not give them step-by-step metadata, right, you know? Right. And so I was just like, and so my thing is, I know like Big Brother exists theoretically, <laughs> or no, practically, it yeah. actually does exist. But I, I want, to, <laughs> like, I know this is this is really silly of me, probably, but I feel like I want to divide my data between a few key players so that not just one key player has all my metadata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Siri, like, so Siri has all your step-by-step uh, right. you know, location <laughs> metadata, basically. <laughs> right. But even then, like I saw, so because I work from home, I occasionally watch morning news. I know it's kind of an intellectual sin, but I do it anyway. <laughs> and, and they had a feature I'm pretty sure it was Good Morning America, um, or, or maybe today. I don't know. I can't remember. But but basically, they were talking about how you can turn off this feature on your Android and your iPhone, where both Android and iPhone like keep your recent locations that you visited unless you turn this feature off in your settings, and it's kind of buried like five steps deep. Oh, and this is like your, by default. So like my iPhone default. right now, if I haven't turned this yeah. off, is collecting. And you don't lose any key features, actually. Um, I mean, nothing terribly important if you turn it off. Um, But what it does is it just keeps keeps that data from being stored. You're step by step. And it's crazy. Like, I went into it and I looked and it told me, like, where I was and, like, how long I was there, basically. Like, it's just, like, it's crazy. Wow. It's crazy town. Wow, yeah. And so, and so after this feature, they're like, you know, it wasn't super alarmist. You know, they weren't, like, saying the sky is falling. But they were like, hey, here's what your phone does. And you can turn it off and really not lose any functionality. So maybe you should think about turning it off. And so I did. And I haven't noticed any, you know, adverse effects and those guys, but, those guys in dark suits that were parked outside your house left. They left, exactly. Perfect. The suburban, the black suburban left. Yeah. They're still following me, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, here's the deal. I just want to make sure that they could keep track of Catherine just for safety purposes. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. I'm a wanderer. <laughs> well, Catherine, you don't work from home, so Jordan just needs to know where you are at all times. Yeah, yeah, it's not weird. I'm not being a weird husband. I'm just trying to be a slightly protective. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean, though, Jordan, about trying to divide your data across apps. But sometimes I think I just cave in and have the opposite mentality that, you know, like th- there's so much stuff in my Gmail account, like I'm sure most of us have in our Gmail accounts. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's, you know, access passwords for other services that I have that aren't Google. You know, th- that's that's the way I validate them is through that email address. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, basically a ton of personal stuff in the emails, but Google already has all that, you know, so if they wanted to have that, they'd have it. So, you know, my thinking is like, well, I just, you know, it's convenient to let them have all my photos too. So like, why not? Just, like, <laughs> I, like you know, whereas, whereas you're going with like the diversification, like let's spread this out across multiple companies. I'm just thinking like, I'd rather just let Google have all this stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll, just, right, right. I'll just put all my eggs in one basket and yeah. hope that Google's a good egg <laughs> or good basket. Good you know? basket yeah. Right, a good basket. <laughs> so. And, you know, honestly, it could just be a way that I rationalize it to myself. 
like I'm not saying it's actually a more, you know, prudent way to go about your online data. Sure, yeah. I just, it's just my weird, you know, personal preference, I guess. Makes you feel mm-hmm. a little safer. Yeah, it, it, right. And part, part of me yeah. wonders if there's if there's really any prudent way to go about online data. I mean, I think data security is a huge topic now with all these credit card breaches that we have. You know, it seems like every month there's another major U.S. firm that's the target of a credit card breach. I saw it last week. I think the IRS was uh, was hacked and lost yeah. the the uh, information of about a hundred thousand uh, U.S. citizens. So this stuff happens all the time, and it seems like nobody's immune from it. Uh, and so, you know, is there is there really any prudent way to be to like to have an online life and to have online data, and you know, feel good about it being protected? Now, are you guys Google people or Apple people? I had an Android for one week. Oh, wow. You made it that far, huh? When I first decided to have a smartphone, this was about five years ago. And after one week, it was was messy. And at that point, we had already had Mac computers. So it, it didn't really make sense to have two different devices. Sure. So I just decided to trade it in. Well, I have a I have a funny anecdote. I have a I have a great friend, or we have great friends. The, the husband, uh, well, actually, both of them. They both worked for Apple, and and uh, they've since left the company, but they still use Apple products uh, basically exclusively. But the husband, he uh, his phone contract was up, so he's like, you know, because I've been using Apple this whole time, I feel a little adventurous. <laughs> I want to try like this super fancy, you know, LG phone and, or it might've been Samsung, this super fancy phone and, you know, with the Android operating system. And so he got it and I was hanging out with him a little while after he got it and we were talking about it. And he's like, he's like, God, he's like, it's, he was, it's horrible. (laughs) I just, and then this is, again, this is just his own personal preference. No one else's, but he was like, He's like, the user experience between apps is so... Uh, varied. Varied, thank yeah. you. Yeah. And slightly glitchy. Yes. He goes, it drives my design sensibility up the wall. Mm-hmm. And he's a designer um, as well. And and he was just like, he's like, I thought I would like it. He goes, but man, he goes, the thing about iOS, which is Apple's mobile operating system, he goes... They've integrated a lot of these features into the native system, whereas Android, because it's open source, they've allowed third-party developers to tackle some of those issues that Apple has already just put in. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, his perspective was: he's like, I just, he's like, it's kind of annoying. He goes, but I'm stuck with the phone now, so I can't do anything <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah. Oh, that's so unfortunate for him. Know, yeah, I mean, I I, I'm not a designer, but I can I can say that my experience has been much the same. I was a Android user until about eight months ago, I think. When um, so Sally's been an iPhone user since the early days. But mm-hmm. okay, so I have 
I just, as I've been listening to you guys say that you're Apple users, I don't know if you remember this, but the reason why I'm an Apple user is really you guys. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, oh, really? because you told me these stories maybe four or five years ago about yeah. how Apple is better than Android and how you had bad experiences with Android. And so that's why I'm an Apple user and Zach's an Apple user because I am. So <laughs> it's just one big circle. So there it yeah. is. The circle comes full circle. Full disclosure. Yeah. 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 Well, I had an Android. Uh, well, my first smartphone was an Android. So I think I got my first smartphone in 2008 or 2009. I was a late adopter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it was great. I, I had the, like the, the droid that had a slide out keyboard and all that. Yes. So I really liked that phone actually. It eventually died on me and, and the physical keyboard went the way of the dinosaurs. Uh, and then the next Android I had was just super glitchy and failed all the time. And then the one after that was a Samsung Galaxy S2, I think. And I've just never had a worse phone than that. That was just a horrible uh, phone. So... I finally got rid of that thing and decided I would just become an Apple user. Uh, and I was inspired in part by um, reading Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs. Dude, so good. Oh, right? you read? Okay, great. You've read this. I, I love <laughs> oh that book. God. It's one of my favorite books. But it really sold me on the, the UX issue, what you were just talking about, that Jobs was insistent that Apple would have end-to-end control of the user experience. And he was against the open source stuff, so he did not want... He did not want to just open source uh, his software to the world. He was going to control it all in the Apple headquarters right there with in-house engineers, and they were going to build it from scratch, and it was going to be closed, and they wouldn't release the code. It was all proprietary. Uh, but it works. I mean, it's it's beautiful, and it works very well. It's a very good user experience because of that. So Yeah, and while he's reading this book, he looks over and sees me you know, on my Apple computer and my Apple phone having a great experience and realizes. <laughs> yeah, and she can you know, link her messages on the yeah. computer and the, and the phone with that, that handoff thing yeah, that they so you released. you read about and, it, you saw it, you were converted. Apple, <laughs> I guess the, the other yeah. major difference to remember between Apple and Google is that Google's a, Google's a web company. I mean, they're... They're not a hardware company, so they've tried to build hardware. But even when they build hardware, they've they've partnered with companies like Motorola or LG uh, to build, you know, like their Nexus smartphones. Whereas Apple is a really first a hardware company; that's where they started, uh, and second a software company. And um, you know, so so I love the I love the Apple hardware and the the integration between the Apple hardware and the Apple software. But Google's web stuff is really good. You know, so the web apps that Google has are second to none. You know, one thing that I that I do think is, uh, well, I should say, when we travel, we usually use Google Maps um, on our phones as opposed to Apple Maps because I feel like Google Maps, their integration with um, public transportation in in big cities is way better and and i like yeah 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 i, I mean, totally even agree. like last year when we were in new york we used exclusively google maps and then london i was there just a couple weeks ago used google maps i mean it was just phenomenal yeah apple maps just seem they well they kicked themselves or they shot themselves in the foot with their botched release of apple maps first of all a couple years ago when they had that terrible oh, release right. and they had, they had, to redo they had people like driving into volcanoes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was the first problem. But the second, I mean, I think the second reason this is the case, Jordan, is what we were saying before that 
Google, Google is a data collection company at the end of the day. I mean, that's how, that's how they drive their money because they collect data mm-hmm. so that they can target ads and then they sell those ads to companies and make their, their revenue off of that. Right. So, you know, the ads are by far the largest source of revenue for Google. So they're a data collection company. So it makes sense that their maps that rely on data collection would be far superior. But then I think it's really telling that, you know, people like us use the Google Maps app exclusively, but on our iPhones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> right. Yes. Uh, we spent a, a while on this segment, so... I think we will wrap it up and head to the next one. Uh, but this has been a good conversation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think we should turn first to Catherine and talk a little bit about blogging and what it takes to blog and how you how you run your blog on a daily basis. And I will, if I can, I'll preface this with a question, which is basically, you know, how do you, how do you build and run a successful blog? Cause I've tried blogging probably four or five times <laughs> in my life. None of the blogs now exist yeah. except I guess the vernacular podcast right. now. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a blog too. True. Uh, um, but every time I've tried, I've, you know, seen varying degrees of success. Sometimes I've written like two posts and called it quits. Uh, other times I've had an effort that was, you know, 45 or 50 posts deep and then it just, it collapsed. So maybe it was just a combination of, I didn't know how to drive readership, but I also just got tired of doing it. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. curious to hear your, as you explain your blog to us, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on sort of how to make it successful. Yeah. Cause it's been going for how long? Three years or? Um, it was two years it's two and a half years. About I think. two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I started blogging back in high school. Actually, I had a Live Journal account. Ah. I don't. I don't know if anybody else remembers. I remember Live Journal. Big recollections. Yes. Yes. So I had a Live Journal in high school and early college. Actually, my last post was post our marriage in 2008. Really? Yeah. I did not know this. Yeah. I can still access it. It's very embarrassing. Can, but can we still access it? That's the question. <laughs> no, I hope oh. no one can access it. It's, it's private. Um, yeah. So I, I enjoyed the aspect of writing. I enjoyed the aspect of just the internet during the early 2000s. Um, but then I kind of just retired that and didn't think about it for a really long time. Um, and then I started reading a lot of blogs over the course of those years and it kind of got brought up like Jordan would bring it up to me like, Oh, I think you should start a blog. And, but I didn't have a reason to start. Like there was nothing like to sort of give me momentum. Yeah. Yeah. And I needed a creative outlet. Like I, I needed that outlet. So it kind of just kind of all worked together. We were going on a big trip, celebrating five years of marriage. And that's kind of what got me started. And in the beginning, I wasn't concerned necessarily about gaining readership. I just kind of put out what I enjoyed. And we were sharing about what we were doing. And it was a very organic um building of readership well it still is i feel like because yeah. it's like 
it almost is a is a cycle one influences the other because you have a blog you have a desire to like share what you're doing but also before you even had a blog you always wanted to like go on adventures and do fun things Mm -hmm. and so almost like they fuel each other right and so you're just kind of sharing what you enjoy I mean I'm not trying to put words in your mouth but I feel like that's kind of what you do yeah so let's talk about that a little bit so do you so it is it does seem like it's an organic process do you just see what you're doing and then write about that or do you kind of plan a little bit plan your posts in any any way so at the beginning of the year, I began to realize that I needed to plan a little bit better because I wasn't, I don't have a, um, editorial calendar as a lot of people like throw that phrase out. I didn't have one and I kind of realized that I needed to have one, um, so that I would be prepared. Like, should I bring my camera for this? Should I not bring my camera? You know? things like that. So I do kind of look at the month. I see what events are coming up, things that I would want to talk about. Um, so when we went to Toronto in April, like back in, you know, February and March, I'm thinking of, okay, well, how is the month going to work? I post about three times a week. So I sort of intersperse things that I want to talk about based on that. Um, but I don't stress about it either. So I may start something and if something else comes up, I can fit it in, but I still may have a post lined up and I can throw it out later. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you're not too structured, but you're structured enough to stay on top of it. (laughs) Correct. And we have gotten better about photographing. So I've I've been doing some style posts. I do enjoy fashion. I'm not a fashion blogger. That's kind of a whole other category, but I enjoy showing outfits as inspiration of what I'm wearing. And we are a little bit um, organized about scheduling fashion shoots um, around my work schedule. And so sometimes we will like photograph a couple of outfits in one day and then I'll sort of bank those for later. So I'm not necessarily going to use those right away, but I'm saving them for later. Yeah. And I think I'm, I mean, I haven't looked back at your early posts in a while, but having followed your blog since the beginning, it seems like that is an element that has changed more recently. It seems like you have more style posts than you had before. Yes. And that's partly because we realized we needed to take those photographs not in the moment, but specifically <laughs> for a post. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is how they do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just, oh, what am I wearing today? I could write about this. <laughs> right, because I may wear that during the day, but you're not going to take that photograph after you've been, you know, running around all day long. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, also, I mean, if I may, I, I, I want to say that, like, I feel like she... Catherine has become slightly more sure of herself, like through this process, like getting her ideas out there and, and communicating who she is as a person and her perspective on things. Um, and so I feel like some of those changes, like you said, Sally, of like, okay, so now she's doing, you know, a few more fashion posts or maybe a few more of these or, or, are collaborating with other bloggers 
I've just seen her confidence grow, not in a cocky way, but like in a in a healthy way. Yeah, no, in a, I have a voice and I have opinions. And yeah, I mean, you say you're not a style blogger or a fashion blogger, but you have a sense of fashion and you can give people advice on that. And I, yeah, I, I agree, Jordan. Right, yeah. And that's the nice thing about being a lifestyle blogger is you can mix it up. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. You can cover a wide variety of things. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. do, you, do you drive traffic to your blog with other sources? Like do you have a Twitter account or Facebook that you update regularly to try to drive traffic? So I do use Twitter to like shout out things. Um, I do have a separate like blog page on Facebook that I started more recently, probably in the last six months. Um, and then my Instagram has my, you know, link to my blog. I don't use it as much. It's, it's a little bit more candid, you know? Yeah. It's also just networking with other bloggers, you know, commenting on other bloggers. That's really, it gets, it gets you out there. Kind of an, I scratch your back, you'll scratch mine thing. Like, (laughs) okay, if I comment on this article, maybe this person will come back and comment on one of mine. Or is, yeah. or, or is it, or is it less, is it less like reciprocal than that? And it's just actually building real relationships. relationships. It is, but like you will get occasional comments of that seem very, um, like they're just serving themselves. But yeah. most, most of the time, it's it like, really oh, this is a, this is a great is, post. This reminds me of something I wrote at my blog. Yeah, here. Here. Oh, to it. My page. Yeah. <laughs> But most of the time, people really do want to just genuinely get to know you. It's It was kind of amazing when all of a sudden that started happening and other bloggers were commenting. And I was like, oh, you want to get to know me? This isn't just about you. It's a, it, There's a community out there, and it's pretty supportive. I mean, honestly, it blew my mind. Like, I still don't understand. Like, she's been doing this for two and a half years. I don't understand. I'm like, oh, like these quote unquote internet friends are now like real friends. And, and it's like, she goes out to lunch with them and she like, like friends have come in, like blogging friends from out of town have visited Nashville and like, she's hung out with like, that's so cool. It blows my mind. And I'm just like sitting back and just watching it happen. It's pretty fascinating. Now, did you design her website for her, Jordan? Well, what we did was we, um, I got a basic kind of template um, that works with the WordPress platform, which is what her site is built on. Okay. And um, and then just like tweaked that and customized that a bit. Uh, but we're going to be doing a new yeah. a new design. Oh, yeah, soon. You, nice. You, created, you created the logo. I did. And kind of like the color scheme. And did like slight adjustments. And this is just so people who are listening can check it out. This is a shortblonde.com. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Blonde, blonde. Blonde with an E. Blonde with an E. Yes. All right. Cool. A shortblonde.com. So what are you, what are you shooting for with the new web design? I guess like if I can make this a more succinct question, what are you trying to achieve when you build a website in terms of visual aesthetics, I guess, what makes a good website? Oof. So that's a loaded question. How long is this podcast? Four hours? <laughs> okay. As long as we need it to be. Yeah, okay. Okay. yeah let's just edit this down. Um, I mean, okay. There, there are a variety of things. My, 
aesthetic in general uh, as a designer is a very uh, clean, minimalist uh, aesthetic. I, I don't like a lot of distractions. Um, and, and there's, and there's, there's personal preference in this, but there's also, I mean, there's actually science involved, um, where, you know, you want the, the viewer to be able to focus on the thing that's most important. And for websites that, that Holy grail or, you know, the, the thing that's most important can vary, right? So, so like for a band, for example, they, they want you to uh, buy their album, but they also want you to go see their shows and then they want you to connect with them on social media because that's how they keep you interested, right? So, so maybe those three things are their, are their keys. For, uh, for a capital investment firm, um, it's not follow us on social media, right? <laughs> and it's not buy our album. But what it is, is it's, okay, see how awesome we are. And we did this, this, and this, and we can help you with your investing and blah, 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 blah. They want to wow you with how good they are at their job, Right. And that's kind of the main thing. And then also maybe, you know, a secondary or tertiary thing might be, hey, uh, check, get to know our partners, right? Because because that kind of that kind of company is built on that personal relationships, right? Or those personal relationships. Yeah. So you whenever I'm talking with a client, I always want to assess what they feel like are their biggest needs. And so based on that you then tailor the website design to kind of accomplish that and i kind of i'm i'm fond of using the metaphor you know it it's well it's almost it's a funnel right you want to funnel people down to that one point or maybe one or two points and action, those action steps that you want people to take. But you don't want the visitor or the user to feel like you're forcing them to those things, right? So they go to the website, they want to feel, oh, this is really cool. Like I'm getting the information I need. And then next thing they know, they're doing the action step that you want. It's right? like an inception on a website it is like inception <laughs> on a website thank you very much so so with Catherine's uh site for example her her site revolves around these articles right these stories that she's telling so you want to clear away distractions and you want a visitor to be able to easily be able to digest these stories to easily be able to engage with the story. So that usually means like leaving a comment um, or sharing the post uh, on, on one of their social accounts, Twitter or Facebook, right? And then, and then also um, similar to a band, Catherine wants people to engage with her on social media. Mm-hmm. And so basically it's, it's, it's story and friendship. You know, those are the kind of, two things. And so 
in a site you want people to in, in her site I should say we want people to be able to kind of do those two things easily and you want to tear down the walls that could stop someone from doing that and it's an ever growing ever evolving thing but I think yeah. I, I know that was a long answer uh, but but yeah no I mean that's that's an interesting answer uh, I come having not come come at it from a a designer's perspective. I don't think about those things. I just look at a website and think, this is nice. You know, so I, I find a template and think, oh, this looks cool. But I think looking back at the, you know, at the times that I've had an opportunity to use a template for something, like like setting up a vernacularpodcast.com, I think I the things that I've unconsciously thought about are exactly what you just laid out. Because obviously you've thought about this a lot more because this is your job. Um, but I think you're getting at something that I think is probably intuitive for the user, you know, that they just want to be pointed to the information. Even if they, that's not a conscious thought in their mind, that's what they're looking for. Yep. Mm -hmm. so. I'm excited to see your new blog. When is it coming out? Oh, we don't have a date yet. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> Hopefully this summer. You, okay, good. You guys are still in yeah. contract negotiations <laughs> with are. each other. <laughs> It's very tedious. Catherine, Catherine has not given me enough chocolate chip cookies. Uh, and, and that's not a euphemism. I just really want chocolate chip yeah, cookies. You know, and she hasn't, she hasn't given me enough. And so I'm holding out for more. It's funny you say that. That's actually my favorite thing, too. For my birthday this past year, I asked Sally for chocolate chip cookies instead of a cake. <laughs> yeah, and even last things. weekend, he was just like, I just want some chocolate chip cookies. I <laughs> yeah. back with Jordan and Catherine about to find out why they moved to Nashville. Jordan and Catherine, can you tell us uh, why you moved to Nashville from your previous home? Talk about where that was and what drove the decision and how you're liking things now where you are. Yeah, and when we come visit Nashville, what, what should we do? <laughs> so Catherine's pointing at me for me to start this. Um, <laughs> Sally yeah. does that to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> It's what a good wife does. I've That's just, right. I've, I've realized. They have to push us out there. Yeah. So, okay. So the move, I'll, I'll address that. Um, man, Chicago as a city is awesome. One of, uh, one of the best cities I've ever visited. It, it is world-class. We, we lived in a suburb, um, close to the city, very beautiful, very nice, you know, walkable, uh, very community oriented suburb. And, and we liked it there. And so then we were like, well, um, we like it here. Should we buy a house here? Maybe not. Uh, should we move into Chicago and live in the city? Because we love city living. Uh, okay, maybe not. And we were like, oh, what about Nashville? We had been coming to Nashville to visit friends for a number of years. And we were really impressed with the city, how it had been growing a lot, how it was so much more than country music. Um, uh, it, it, it was just a vibrant growing place. And so it was like, maybe we should just, let's try this. You know, we don't have kids right now. If we're going to make a move, let's, let's make a move. Mm -hmm. Now is the time, right? Yeah, definitely. So, so that was, that was kind of the genesis of it. I mean, there wasn't like anything pushing us per se we just were like let's try this yeah and it it wasn't 
an easy decision. I mean, it took me about a year to come around. I mean, it was a long, like, we planned it out, like a rough draft of, okay, we're going to move in 2014. But it took me about a year to even come to the idea of moving away because it had just become so familiar. But one thing that I think was really interesting for me, um, and I was eager to make the change to Nashville, was Chicago, and I'm making generalities here, but but I found them to be true, and I've talked with other people from Chicago and Nashville, and, and this topic or this uh, this point of view has resonated with them. So I feel like it's it's pretty spot on. In Chicago, it's a very blue-collar town historically. And so what has happened is families, generations of families have lived in Chicago and have never moved. Mm -hmm. And it's a very... Um, it's generational. It's generational, yeah. which has a nice, a nice element to it. The blue-collar work ethic is wonderful, is something to be admired. But also, it's, a, it's very much a stay-in-your-lane kind of mentality. You know, uh, you wake up in your box, you hop in a box on wheels, you drive that to a smaller box, and you sit in that box for eight hours. You get in your box on wheels... You go back to your home box and you watch a television box <laughs> until you go to sleep and then you repeat it again. Now, again, I'm making generalities, but but that is that is kind of like, hey, this is what we do. Like, yeah. it's cool. This yeah. is what we do. Whereas I in in Nashville, there's much more of a transplant kind of atmosphere because people have moved here from all over the world. And it's a very collaborative, creative environment. And I was eager to try that on for size mm -hmm. um, and kind of have more of an open, oh, man, dude, like, let's collaborate. Let's do whatever. It's less territorial. It's more fluid. Um, and again, I love Chicago. I'm not I'm not trying to to put it down. But even the tax benefits of Illinois makes it very difficult to start a business. Oh, there are no... Wait, there are no tax benefits. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's an The lack thereof. <laughs> yes. Whereas Tennessee is a little bit more business-friendly, so... Like, for example, there's no state income tax. Boom. Like, like boom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just things like that where it's more... The environment is more conducive to, to my career. Yes. Yes. So um, when we come visit Nashville, we've never been before. What are what are some things that we should do? What should we see? Where should we go? Where should we eat? Yeah. So Nashville is funny because it has this reputation of kind of being a honky tonk bar town, which is really only one little street. Well, wow. it's called it's called Broadway. It is it, called it, it oh, is nice. a large, it's a large street. Yeah. But it's only one street in <laughs> all of Nashville. Um yeah, Nashville has a lot of coffee shops. A lot of coffee shops, like local coffee shops. I love that. Local <laughs> less um chain restaurants. So there's a couple different areas, like the 12th South area is really nice, and there's, like, a lot of parks to go to. Um, 
12 South is a, is a neighborhood. Yeah, it's basically. a neighborhood. It's, it's actually okay. where we where we live. Yeah, we live. Oh, okay. Um, and it's just a great. It's it's near uh, Belmont and Vanderbilt universities, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's a lot of really great places to to eat and and uh, you know hang out and gather. And um, and th- there's a variety of awesome you know areas. East Nashville, Germantown yeah. is an is a great up and coming neighborhood. The food here, okay. One thing that Chicago has is pizza. <laughs> amazing food, right? <laughs> well, and pizza, and yeah. Pizza. <laughs> but but Nashville has great food as well. I mean, the food here and the coffee. Yeah, yeah. Very so impressed. I was some very of impressed. our favorites, our favorite barbecue in town is Martin's. Okay. On Belmont. On Belmont. Martin's. Good. We love barbecue. Yeah. Uh, One of our favorite coffee shops to go to is 8th and Roast. On 8th Avenue. On 8th Avenue. Appropriately enough. Easy enough to remember. And Roast Avenue. (laughs) And Roast. Yeah. Yeah. The corner of 8th and Roast. (laughs) And Roast. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also uh, Barista Parlor. Golden Sound. We love... I mean, their coffee is super good. Their coffee is really good. There's this really fun popsicle restaurant to go to. Well, gourmet popsicle Yeah, gourmet joint. popsicles. Oh, okay. And so what is a gourmet popsicle? That sounds amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, they just make the popsicles there, but you can go in and get lots of different flavors or like dipped in chocolate Oh, they wow. They have ones dipped in chocolate. Like, the ingredients are funky, yeah. basically. Wow. okay. Like, there was, like, this chocolate with chili powder. Ooh. Okay, yeah. So, so basically, it was like, it was like a, the richest kind of hazelnut chocolate popsicle, but it had chili powder in the popsicle. Oh, my gosh. Jordan, so, Jordan, my mouth is watering. It sounds dude, amazing. It is so good. And like my my world was forever changed the first time <laughs> I had that, and so you get this like sweet chocolatey creaminess, and then all of a sudden, like toward the tail end, you get this kick, and then it causes you to want to bite again because you're like, oh, I need more of that creaminess. <laughs> but I loved the kick also, and it's just a vicious cycle. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's just kind of there's a it's a fun city. There's a fun vibe. You can. It's not that large compared to you know chicago and new york so you can kind of just plop around and... oh it's not large at all compared to those yeah it's not large at all compared to those <laughs> but 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 the the attitude of the city is really great and i think uh, like we mentioned earlier it's a transplant city mm-hmm. so it's in the south but it's not south south mm-hmm. um if that makes sense so you don't sense. feel like an outsider living in nashville yeah. No. no, not at all. There's a lot of people from the north, as they call it. You just used air quotes. I did use air quotes. <laughs> you, real, you realize this is an audio medium. <laughs> There's really only the north and the south. We're from the north, even though I always thought I was from the Midwest. Um, but they're very welcoming. They're very welcoming. And there's a lot of people from just the Midwest in general or Atlanta. Wow. Yeah, I'm I mean, sold. Even, yes. <laughs> we have to come visit. We are going to come visit. <laughs> I've only been once and it was for a, a weekend event at Vanderbilt and uh, I saw the campus, but I really didn't get out much beyond that. So yeah, I'm, and I've never been I'm eager to do so, especially with all these. Oh yeah. It sounds amazing. Really. I've never met anyone who has anything bad to say about Nashville. 
Uh, and I know all types of people who have gone there for various reasons. Yeah, yeah. But I think the, mm-hmm. the thing we most hear about is that sort of Broadway scene that you guys mentioned, you know, the mm-hmm. like music and honky tonk and country. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, you should you should experience, you know, for one night. Sure. If you're visiting. Or half a night. Or half a night, <laughs> you know. But that's not all that Nashville has to offer. Right. Now, right. Uh, Jordan, you're a musician, right? I, I dabble, yes. Have, have you been able to plug into the music scene there at all? Um, I have, uh, I have co-wrote or co-written with a friend, um, Brad Paisley, Brad, <laughs> no <laughs> kidding. You know, I did not name drop that, but since you brought it up, <laughs> um, yeah, Brad and I go back, um, no, but, but Keith Urban does frequent Catherine Starbucks as does Nicole Kidman. Oh, Whoa. no kidding. That's yeah. awesome. You know, there's a lot of, um, celebrities that just go to the mall you know and we don't bother them there's not um i don't think like tmz is allowed down here (laughs) (laughs) but yes no i have i have written a little bit but uh but nothing too crazy my brother and i are starting a new band and we just recorded um last week three songs for an ep that's Um, exciting when is the ep coming out you know, we're not entirely sure. We're you kind guys, of. I just. I know. I wanted I'm the so new blog, sorry. the new band. You don't have I deadlines. Know. I. I'm just gonna be left hanging here. <laughs> I've been a part of bands where like deadlines have been set aggressively, <laughs> and we're trying a new thing where we're just gonna like let the creative process happen. You know, we're in post production right now. Okay. We're working Fair on enough. stuff. We're yeah, working like, on the album artwork, things like that. So it's kind of like I think we're just gonna try to drop it. When you feel like it's, it's yeah, we done. want to pull a Beyonce, but not Beyonce because she's way too amazing. <laughs> well, I trust your creativity, so I don't want that to be short change. Thank you, Sally. <laughs> I appreciate you alleviating the pressure. <laughs> That's very kind of you. I just know that I'm I'm waiting yes. <laughs> eagerly. Let us know what it does drop though, too, because we'd love to listen, and then we can uh, we can point to it from our blog to get some of our listeners over there too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, that would be, that'd be great. We'd love to do that. Um, so I don't have a good segue to this next question, but we know from your blog, Catherine, especially that, um, you guys have been on a journey for a while, hoping to have a child and you've been struggling with, um, infertility and you've written a lot about that. And, uh, we were hoping that we know that we have listeners who are going through the same kinds of, um, struggles and what would you guys say to them individually or as a couple, um, to those people who find themselves in in the same position? Yeah. So Jordan and I have been married for seven years, seven years in April, and we have been trying to have a baby for two and a half years. And it's been an interesting journey, not anything that we expected to be on, but we were here. And it's um, it's actually been really nice to have my blog as an outlet for that. Um, that wasn't something that I thought was going to happen when I started blogging. That kind of, that happened after the fact. But it's been um, really freeing, actually. Um So kind of one of the first things that I would tell someone and which is something that I had to learn um, and I still am learning throughout the process. Oh, yeah. All this stuff 
like we're not we're not done with the women. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, is is like don't stop future planning because of a potential pregnancy. You know, it's very easy to um, think like, oh, well, I'm not going to go on that trip or I'm not going to purchase those plane tickets because I may have morning sickness or I could be, you know, in labor. So, but I had to learn very early on that I had very little control over what my body wanted to do, even though I thought that I had more control than I had. And I had to just keep making choices and continuing to live my life. Um, you know, so we bought plane tickets, you know, six months in advance for certain trips, or we planned to move, you know, almost a year in advance. And we just realized that, you know, if we had to cancel a plane ticket, that would be okay. We would just figure it out in the moment, but I wasn't going to, um, stop moving forward. You can't put your life on hold waiting for something to happen. Yeah. I think, I think is, is the thing, you know, you gotta be, I think it's important to live boldly and live, um, in such a way that, uh, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, we, you can't, you can't control every aspect of your life. And I think Mm -hmm. we ran into that fact head on you know yeah 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 no that's great advice yeah I think I think one thing that that I is kind of like well resonated with both of us but but definitely with me and even just like observing our relationship through this process um even talking with with other friends that have gone through similar things it's important to grow, to intentionally grow together. And I know that could be applicable to I mean, your entire marriage, really, um, uh, or, or any obstacle or, or kind of bump in the road that you experience in life. But it's important to be there for one another and to listen to each other. You know, because you're two separate people, in a, in a marriage or a partnership, you you both kind of cross certain rivers at different times, emotionally speaking. So one person may be ready to just like, they just need to cry it out mm-hmm. and just like let all the emotions out. And the other person is like, well, I'm not quite there yet. But it's important to, to make yourself available to your partner even if you're not at that same place emotionally, mm-hmm. right? But to make yourself uh, available to them kind of in a gracious and, and loving way. And, and it frees you. Um, it, it, it honestly frees you to have fun because what happens is, is you, if you make yourself available to each other, those emotional cathartic situations can occur. And then you've, you've dealt with it. And then the next day or the next hour or the next 10 minutes, you're laughing and enjoying each other's company. It's when people hide things or conceal or gloss over that, uh, that couples tend to like pull apart, you know, 
And uh, you got to be able to. I mean, we we have a ton of fun. I mean, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. We have like way too much fun, I think. But I think it's because we make ourselves available yeah. to each other. Yeah, there really was a breaking point because it hit me first before it hit it hit Jordan, which makes sense. You know, there's there's a little bit more weight on the female. There's more like visioning of having children mm-hmm. you know like most little boys aren't necessary maybe they are maybe they're not no no i was like fighting crime and <laughs> yeah. waging waging war Batman, you know yeah. playing house so you know there really was a breaking point of like i need you to like listen hear me out this is where i am this is why this particular thing is hard And kind of once we had that conversation, I don't know, it was probably like six months, six to nine months in, um, then I kind of felt like, okay, we're in this together now. Yeah. Well, and also men, we have a tendency, I mean, this is no secret, right? I'm not, I'm not dropping a philosophical (laughs) bomb here, but we have a tendency to want to fix things. And, uh, yeah, right. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Zach. And the, the fact is, is, is things like this can't be fixed immediately. Right. And so it's like, I mean, even you go through all the doctor's office, you know, offices in the world and it's a process, right. Mm -hmm. And your body may be working functionally. And according to the doctors, maybe your partner's body could be functioning just as well, but yet something's not working. Right. And so it's a process of discovering that you can't fix it right away. Um, Mm-hmm. it's just, it's just the fact of the matter. So I got to listen more. Yeah. Yeah. And then also just maintaining perspective, you know, like maintaining perspective on the struggles that you're going on and the other people in your life and just really trying to have more of an outward focus and focusing on God for us. Like it's really helpful for us to kind of get away from constantly thinking about our own journey and that there's other people to focus on too. It kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off. Totally. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's so important to be able to, to love other people and focus your attention on other people than just navel gazing all the time. That is, that is like the worst, right? I mean, it's bad for you as a person. It's also bad for those around you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, for, like Catherine said, for us, it's focusing on others and focusing on God. And, and, and we believe, you know, God is good and, and his goodness uh, just surrounds us even in the difficult times. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not to negate your feelings, you know, and that's why it's important to let it out with your partner in a safe place. Also, like I said in the beginning, just like finding some sort of outlet, finding some sort of creative outlet, whether, you know, some people it's not publicly blogging about, you know, infertility. It may be journaling, you know, writing poems, writing music, like something just to interpretive dance, right? Interpretive dance. I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm not. Zach, I've seen you interpret dance. <laughs> you keep doing it, buddy. But maybe not publicize it. But maybe not publicize it. Yeah. And, you know, of course, there are some people that, you know, in their partnership, that they need it to be private. And that's fine. 
you know, it's not everybody has to be super public, but for me, it was more difficult being private. Um, it's been easier or just the support that I've been able to find by being public kind of, um, made it worth sort of just admitting what we were going through. Yeah. And I'm sure whether or not you know it now, you've encouraged other people just by sharing your story. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope so. Cause I've definitely been encouraged by other people being yeah. very open with it. So, well, I have to say that, I mean, even though this isn't a, a struggle that Sally and I have had, I'm just encouraged by your guys' story listening to you because mm-hmm. it sounds like, I mean, this is something that obviously a lot of couples struggle with. And and it could be something that we struggle with in the future. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. But mm-hmm. this is this is not something that's uncommon, but it seems like you guys have handled it with unusual grace and you've been able to, you know, turn this trial into a blessing in many ways. And you've come and, out stronger as a couple. Yeah, I mean, from everything you told us, it sounds like you you definitely have, and so I'm just gonna I just want to hand it to you guys for for handling it with such grace in that way, and for trying to see what good can come out of it, even though it was unexpected and it has been painful, you know, just for for basically just embracing that and to and to um, approach this with uh, an open mind and an optimistic one and a faithful one, and then just turning to each other and trying to strengthen each other through that. So that's a really beautiful thing and a really strong testament to the relationship that you guys have. So, uh, keep it up. It's really awesome and an inspiring story for, um, for us and for lots of others, I'm sure. Well, thank you. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're, 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 we're uh, tackling it as it comes, you yes. know, and you know, joy is a beautiful thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like just allowing yourself to be filled with joy throughout the day is like, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's, you have to, you, you have, have to, to. it's awesome. It. And no matter if you're like, it doesn't matter your circumstances. You may feel like life is, is okay, but allowing joy to just surprise you, uh, throughout the day is, man, that's, that's where it's at. I don't know. I don't know. I want to live a life full of joy. That's yeah. a great point. <laughs> well, thank you so much to both of you for being on the show and answering all of our questions. It's been a lot of fun talking with you and we've really enjoyed having you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you yeah, for having us. Thank you for having us. This was fun. For our listeners, if you'd like to see Jordan's work, you can check out his website, jordanshort.com. And if you want to read Catherine's blog, go to ashortblonde.com. That's blonde with an E. show but before we wrap it up we have to check our inbox ah time to check the inbox yep oh look we have an email from christina she says hi zach and sally i really enjoyed your interview with julia in episode three the topics of the episode hit the mark with me and she also says thanks for the laughs thanks christina it was great to hear from you that was a fun conversation with Julia talking all about organic foods and locally sourced products. And, and raw milk. And Julia's <laughs> affinity for raw milk specifically. Yeah. So if you haven't heard that episode, you can go back to episode three. And if you haven't checked out our website, please do, vernacularpodcast.com. Also, be sure to follow our Twitter at vernacularpod. And <clears throat> excuse me. And we're on <laughs> Facebook as well. So check out our Facebook page. 
Uh, also want to make a request to our listeners to please uh, rate us on iTunes if you're listening to this podcast through iTunes. Just go write us a review. Give us uh, however many stars you think we deserve, but it helps us uh, get publicity in the iTunes store if our listeners rate us. So please do that. And email us so that you can be featured on our inbox section. Just let us know what you liked about the podcast, what you didn't like, what resonated with you, or what you would like to see more of. Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. And finally, our outro music here is something that Jordan Short has done in conjunction with the a few of his fellow artists, but we just really enjoyed our conversation with Jordan and want to show you guys a little bit of the work he's done. So enjoy the next few seconds of the music here. All right, that about wraps it up for us at Vernacular Podcast. For Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great weekend. You